indeed we do need a revolution we need a revolution of love as the song says and by that i mean a real health revolution that includes mind body and soul and real health we need to flip this whole thing from symptom-based uh, approach to medicine to cause-based fundamental health uh, respecting the cutting edge science of human immunity that is showing us the wisdom of the ancient ways and the healing powers of nature. I just love that right now, things that your grandmother, your great grandmother knew to do, science is figuring out why. Why did you know to do that? Why did you pickle this and preserve that? You know, all of these things that they they knew about life, how to treat fevers, how to let them burn to, to get to that healing crisis and recovery. Science now is showing us why these things work. And I and so as we move forward, we're sort of moving back, but, but with wisdom um, attached to it. I think it's wonderful. Um, this show is brought to you by people just like you, listeners who want to learn more and who support efforts to educate the public on important matters um, of healthy immunity. And today's sponsor is Bev Burke, my very dear sister, in honor of her many grandchildren, whom she loves with all her heart. It is her greatest wish that they find health and happiness on their journey of life. And she knows that they can only do that if they are empowered with the information they need to make wise decisions. And so that's exactly why we are here today. Um, so if you'd like to sponsor a show in the future, just email me at radio at informedchoicewa.org. And you can dedicate the show to, to someone or something that you'd like to support. And you can even suggest a theme. And if it, if it works well with, with what we're doing, definitely we can we can pick up a theme and talk it a uh, topic um, on the show that you yourself will support so that would be wonderful um, a little news I want to let you all know that we filed on Monday a petition with the Washington State Board of Health um, Informed Twist Washington did. And uh, the petition is actually by me, Bernadette Pager et al. And et al is 645 signed um, signatures that were gathered in about 30 hours very rapidly um, in order to get this turned in as soon as possible. We are asking the Board of Health to convene an emergency meeting of health practitioners. And I'll read a little bit from our petition Waiting for a safe and effective vaccine before allowing life to return to normal is not rational or ethical. People are needlessly dying now. People need access to the existing treatments now. People need hope now. The mass collateral damage to the economy and personal lives is staggering and cannot be sustained. The Board of Health has the authority to convene an emergency committee of health practitioners in order to provide the way and means to exchange experiences and protocols and for this information to be made available to the public. They've acknowledged receipt of the petition and have said they will get back to us very soon. We will be posting updates on our website about that, so stay tuned. Um, because there are safe and effective working protocols, on-the-shelf protocols that range from, from nutrients to, to drugs and, and a combination between doctors know how to treat this and you have the power to treat and prevent yourse um, it yourself. So um, before today, we're going to be talking about the law, 
and your legal rights. So this is important because you need to be able to protect your choices so that whatever you learn about healthy immunity, you have the freedom to go pursue. Um, so is it legal for the government to mandate vaccination? I wanna introduce you to an idea, a concept, and what I consider sort of a fatal flaw in all vaccine legislation today. None of that legislation incorporates the actual capabilities, the risks, the limitations, or unintended consequences of the products, the products that individuals have to choose in order to comply with the policy. Um, and that's absolutely absurd. Uh, I'm gonna, I've got notes to myself, so drop one on the floor here. Uh, let me give you a little bit of, of an example. Um, a couple of years ago, I was invited to sit on the State Board of Health Technically Advisory Committee. They were looking at language of the law in order to just update the language. And there, there kept being talk of, do we keep kids out of school until they have all their paperwork turned in? You know, we just refuse them entry without this. And I kept bringing up vaccine products. I kept saying, but wait a minute, it's the parents who have failed to bring you the paperwork, but these kids, if they're missing, and then I would describe the, the vaccine products and their capability to say, if they're missing that vaccine or the paperwork, they're endangering nobody because that vaccine can't prevent infection or colonization or transmission. And in fact, if they're missing that vaccine, they're actually, they might be less risk of spreading because like the pertussis vaccine makes, makes you potentially an asymptomatic carrier. Um, studies have shown that newborns are catching it from their fully vaccinated siblings because these kids don't know that they're sick. So the com other committee members kept arguing with me. We're just talking about the language of the policy. This has nothing to do with vaccines. And I said, are you kidding me? You can't base policy without considering the product, the product. None of that is built in there. Uh, the very, uh, so next year, Informed Choice Washington filed a petition with the Board of Health um, asking to have the Tdap removed, um, the DTAP or the Tdap. This is a triple vaccine that is diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Um, the three components of that vaccine do nothing to prevent um, infection or transmission to other children. These are only for personal use. So we hired an immunologist who analyzed all the current science, the most up-to-date science, and we presented it to the board and they denied our petition to have those vaccines removed from school requirement. Um, this went all the way up to the governor's office and the governor's office said they were denying our petition because um, current science outweighed our argument. Well, <laughs> yes, right? Okay, my guest is laughing. Yes, that's Patty Finch, she'll be on in a minute. Um, and, but we had presented current science. I mean, some of the science was just a couple months old. It was the most current science analyzed by an immunologist and they give us nothing absolutely nothing. And when I wrote back to them and said, well, where's your current science? They said, well, we have to ask for it. I said, well, what do you mean? Isn't it at your fingertips? You denied our petition based on current science. Well, they had to ask for it. And then they all they did was ask the Department of Health, who a week or so later sent four general links to general information websites. Nothing, nothing. So I don't know. We, eventually, we're going to do something with that because there it sits. Um, so why I'm bringing this up is because 
you know, this is such a huge problem. It's a fundamental problem with all vaccine law that there's no flexibility in the language. It doesn't incorporate the actual products what they can and can't do. So, you know, they're, they're not really based on common sense. And even worse, it puts, um, let's see, hold on. I dipped out of the picture there for a second. Sorry, I, I missed my... Um, Nope, nope, nope. I'm right on track here. Sorry, I've got a, I've got a very complex thing here to present. Um, I'm weaving it, trying to get to the 1905 Jacobson decision. So instead of me just sort of rambling here by myself, I think I'm going to bring on my guest so that she can uh, join in this conversation. So my guest is Patricia Finn, Patty, the good health lawyer. Patty Finn is a child advocate and prominent civil rights attorney. Based in New York, her firm represents families throughout the United States seeking to protect their constitutional and statutory rights to abstain from vaccinations. The firm represents thousands of children afflicted with autism and other vaccine injuries caused by vaccine products. Patty Finn is an important part of the legal effort to protect the parental and health rights of all Americans, particularly when it comes to issues of childhood vaccines. It's such a pleasure to welcome her here today. Welcome, oh, Patty. thank you. <laughs> and I'm sorry I laughed, but I mean, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. The things um, that the government says, you know, oh, no science or, oh, my favorite is the science is settled. That, that, that's the one I really like. <laughs> yeah. You know, all of those mantras out there, the science is settled, safe and effective. Um, and I keep saying the beauty of this COVID chaos. And again, I hate that anybody's being harmed by it. And a lot of people are being harmed by yes. it, not just by COVID, but the, but the individual state's response to COVID is what's actually doing the most harm. Um, the silver lining is these platitudes, these mantras, these marketing slogans are sort of being revealed because they're so absurd in the current circumstance, yet they continue to say them. Um, it's terrible. And, and it's, uh, it, it shows how ignorant uh, mm -hmm. the public officials are, but they're all hiding behind police power, which uh, they say, well, we can do whatever we want. And unfortunately, many challenges to that have failed. And you know, it's it's only getting stronger and stronger. It's it's quite frightening, but mm -hmm. I agree with you. It is in one way an awakening, mm -hmm. and that's you know, people ask me, do I have to wear a mask? Do I have to do this? And do I have to get vaccinated? And I said, well, if the job or the school requires it, and you can't get an exemption, then you can't go to school, or you have to get vaccinated, or you fight like hell. You, you take them to court, you challenge them, and you file petitions, you, you know, rattle your yeah. legislators. That, that's what we need to be doing. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the marketing message and, and what they keep saying and have been saying um, is, from the very beginning, is that you get vaccinated to protect, you know, they, they can't force you to do it for your own self-protection. They can only do it mandate and, and sort of coerce and compel uptake because you need to not infect other people. So it's to prevent um, infection with other people. But that's absurd when you look at each 
vaccine product, and that's why we need to bring in the capabilities of the products. Um, the tetanus vaccine, tetanus is not communicable. Pertussis vaccine, diphtheria vaccines do not prevent infection, colonization, and transmission. The mumps vaccine is a total failure. Merck's on on trial for fraud with that one. It wanes so early that by um, high school, kids are fully susceptible again and, and into adulthood. Measles vaccine um, is failing in a, at least a third of adults 20 years out. You know, the, the whole premise, if you look at each one, they should all be personal decisions and not, yes, yes, they should. you know, yes, based they should. on product. And then, you know, if they were ever to make an absolutely beautifully effective and safe vaccine that truly was effective, you wouldn't have to course anybody to get it. Yeah, right? If it was safe and effective, everybody would get it. In fact, if it was so effective, it wouldn't matter if you didn't get it because the other person's vaccine would be strong enough to protect them, right? It's, mm -hmm. It's just absurd that, that they're trying to convince everybody to give up their medical freedom, their individual liberties, their school, their jobs, when a product can't even help, right? <laughs> no, no, um, I mean, you're, you're completely right. And, and the narrative is very frightening and it has a psychological effect on people. You know, the Google searches are all being manipulated, the censorship going on. You know, studies that you used to be able to find that popped up right to the top in your search. Now you can't find them. Mm -hmm. I mean, statutes, I, I look for the law that I would just enter a key phrase and it would come up. And now I have to go into a paid service and, you know, find it. It's, it's very, very difficult. And the media is uh, propagating this frightening message. And they're really, really scaring people. The, the television is awful. Well, you know, you. I, we need to get rid of the right, the ability for pharmaceutical um, industry to advertise to the public. If we could get them out of the media, out of, you know, television and print and all the other medias, then journalism could return to what it's supposed to be, that yes. great protector uh, of the individual against corporations and against government. I mean, where's our fourth estate? Yes. Um, they've been muzzled. Uh, it's, it's very frightening. I wanted to read to you from like, from, so 1905, Jacobson versus Massachusetts is, is that foundational piece of legislation that everybody turns to to says, yes, we have the right to do that. Um, I've got a quote here. Uh, it is within the police power of a state to enact a compulsory vaccination law, and it is for the legislature and not for the courts to determine in the first instance whether vaccination is or is not the best mode for the prevention of smallpox and the protection of the public health. So right there, that, that court made a huge, in my opinion, mistake. Because why did they put, why did they say it is in the hands of politicians to decide whether or not a medical product was the best way to prevent an infection? Why, was, why is it up to politicians who know nothing about medicine or health or and in case smallpox vaccine, the most dangerous vaccine ever made? Right, and now, you know, it's, no one uses it and they didn't work. And my grandmother had a smallpox mark on her arm that was like a giant, 
like a, a silver dollar. And I asked her about it. It was awful. Her arm was like mutilated from it. And she said she was Irish. And she's like, oh, some man came around in a black car, you know, and he jumped out and vaccinated all of them. And like two of her cousins died. And this was in Ireland, you know, a hundred years ago. So they died from the inoculation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, it was an inoculation and they, they scratched your arm and, um, Oh, really? I right. don't know, but her arm was like yeah. a mess from it. It was yeah. it was giant. But uh, about the decision, though, uh, what mm -hmm. the court did say, though, was that it's up to politicians in the first instance. So what does that mean? Well, that means if they are violating your rights, then you can, uh, you know, you can go to court. The, the problem is a lot of the cases that are being filed keep uh, raising, uh, you know, I have a right, I have a religious freedom to refuse um, uh, not too many 14th Amendment arguments, but, you know, there's plenty of them. And uh, there that the court in Jacobson, if you read on, it says uh, compulsory vaccinations do not violate the first, uh, do not violate the Constitution. And you know what I try to express to people over and over again, and I hear lawyers talking all the time about your constitutional rights to refuse. And I'm you know, sad to say, but you have no right. And uh, according to that decision, you have no constitutional right to refuse a vaccine. So there's wide latitude uh, there for legislators. Um, they can... Uh, you know, give you medical and religious exemptions. They don't have to mandate vaccines. Um, the other thing, though, uh, that is, you know, I don't necessarily think, I mean, I think, I, I, let me be clear. I think any forcing anybody to take a vaccine is stupid, you know. But back then, in that circumstance, it's not a decision I would have made. Um, but it is the decision we have to deal with. And, you know, there were some good parts of that decision. One of them was there had to be an epidemic. There had to be grave danger that imperils society. So looking at COVID, um, is COVID a grave danger? Um, not really. I mean, I know people are scared and I'm sorry and people have been hurt. But if the numbers are showing it, not much different than a regular uh, flu. And it's, it, there's prophylaxis types of treatment. So you can actually eliminate uh, risk and the mortality rate is very, very low. The entire global death uh, divided by the population and the other way around, it, it doesn't rise to 0.7% mortality rate of the uh, population, which is a CDC definition of an epidemic. So we don't have an epidemic, you know? I mean, you may think we do because that's what you're being told and, and not even challenging the unreliability of the COVID death certificates or, you know, are, are these people really dying of COVID or do they have a heart failure and, and just happen and test positive? Um, for COVID. So not even challenging the legitimacy of those numbers. 
you still are not at a rate of an epidemic. And the Supreme Court said the, there had to be an epidemic of grave mm -hmm. danger that imperiled society. And that's what I would like to prove. You know, I, I proved it last year in New York uh, when there was a measles epidemic declared. I went into court, took me 25 minutes, no experts. And I, I picked up the government's paperwork and I counted the word epidemic uh, something like 20 times. And I said to the judge, they, they're, they're saying there's only two active cases out of 350,000 people. That is not an epidemic. And he agreed with me and he dismissed uh, or he, he restrained an executive order. And that's what we're facing, the masks. And those are like Governor Cuomo uh, executive order for the masks and all that. Mm -hmm. I was able to overturn it. So I'm pretty sure that we can hit uh, COVID the same way. The other part of Jacobson that I like and is something... Again, you know, I, I don't agree with compulsory vaccinations, but if that's the law, then let's figure out how to fix that. So first thing is you prove no epidemic, but this there's a second part and it's a kind of due process criteria. And the court said there may be instances when a vaccine is a plain and palpable invasion of fundamental liberty interests and it is the duty of the court to adjudicate those instances. The court said the vaccine has to be necessary, harm avoidant, proportional, and non-discriminatory. That sounds like a religious and a medical exemption, doesn't it? I mean, it, think about it. Necessary, it, harm avoidant, proportional, non-discriminatory. I have religious beliefs contrary to vaccine. So just to sum up my point, yeah. you have to, I believe that the state, the court was saying, okay, you, you politicians have a right to do it, but you have to provide exemptions mm -hmm. to those who can't be vaccinated. Yeah. I and mean, that's a really powerful um, quote there. I want you to, could you repeat that one more time that, that that's important language. I hope I get um, what, what they said was, um, right, I mentioned the epidemic of grave danger that imperils society. We, we clearly don't have that. And then uh, Justice Harlan uh, went on to say it may be possible in the future that there would be a vaccine mandate that is a plain and palpable invasion of fundamental liberty interests. And further, it is the duty of the court to a judge. And what that means is you get to go in front of a judge and, and mm -hmm. plead your case. Up till now, nobody's really done that. You know, in the past, and even in my firm, we were fighting for uh, a First Amendment right to a religious exemption. It wasn't a, a substantive right. It was a right created by statute. So now New York took away the religious exemption. Maine is following. You know, they're, they're all over the place. And my argument when I get to the Supreme Court is that you have to, the states have to provide exemptions. That's what the Supreme Court said in Jacobson. And I, I, I think I'm right there. 
I think you are. And what's amazing to me is that in 115 years since that decision, nobody has taken up the argument as you are proposing. And within that language of what you were saying, I hear that that the argument that an individual could make against getting it could very well be based um, on an argument that includes what the product is capable of doing and right. the harm it may cause. And there is a, there is individual susceptibility, susceptibility there, you know, there's just so much each, you cannot blanket legislate vaccines as a category because every infection it they target and every vaccine product and every individual are different. Right. And, and, so, that, and that's why the harm avoidance mm -hmm. necessity proportionality, that is a medical exemption, non-discriminatory. I yes. hold religious beliefs yes. contrary to vaccinating. That doesn't mean a couple of things. And th this has also been blurred because mm -hmm. this is what the legislature was saying last year in New York. You can't send your sick kid to school. Well, that, that presumes a lot. It presumes that non-vaccinated children are vectors. It presumes that sick people, sick children, or, or anybody can go to school or work mm -hmm. when they are a vector or infected. And that's not at all what it means because whether I'm fully vaccinated or I'm not vaccinated, I can't go to school if I'm sick. Right. I can't put anybody at risk. You and, know, and, and we're going to leave it right there. We're going to come so, back from the break. I want to just say quickly, though, that if they were to follow this, no child could go to school at all, whether vaccinated or not vaccinated for, say, whooping cough. Be, because actually only the non-vaccinated children can go to school when they're not when they have no symptoms because you don't know who's sick if they're vaccinated they're both vectors of transmission at times of outbreak so the whole thing is such a gray area that you know um when you're not vaccinated you get symptoms you, your mom keeps you home from school if you're vaccinated you may or may not get symptoms and you, you're, you're out there infecting more people. So with I that agree said, with that. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to take, um, take a break here. And, um, during the break was, there's a couple of, uh, oh, spots that are going to play that, that are things that we support. And the middle one, what you're going to hear are the voices of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And Alan Dershowitz. These are excerpts from a debate that happened. Um, the YouTube audience is going to be able to see, um, a slide that will tell them where to go uh, to childrenshealthdefense.org. So the radio um, audience just know that you can go online to childrenshealthdefense.org, look up uh, the Kennedy Dershowitz debate, and you can watch the whole thing. It's quite fascinating. So this is Bernadette Pager with an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, 
Drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PREP Act. To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. There will soon be a new vaccine for the coronavirus pandemic. The question is, are these vaccines safe and can the government force you to take them? When it comes down to lawyers, they itch for things like this. One in 40 people get seriously injured by vaccines. It's not hypothetical. If you're right, why wouldn't it follow that the flu shot should be illegal? CDC is a vaccine company. They are not doing their job as regulators. We don't know what COVID-19 vaccine will look like. Anthony Fauci put 500 million of our dollars into that vaccine. And now they've got a vaccine that is too big to fail. Would you urge the American people not to take the vaccine? I'm not anti-vaccine. I am asking you the question. I'm, what if it was what? one in a thousand? No, of course not. I'm not going to tell one in a thousand people to die. I think you overstated. Look at the vaccine inserts, Alan. Masks work. We're going to kill all these people. Mandatory vaccination. We're still going to make a profit, so let's go ahead. Certainly anybody who runs a pharmaceutical company cares deeply about not killing people. You can't sue them. There's no discovery. There's nothing. They never get caught. Do you wear a mask personally? The flu shot not only primes you for flu, but it primes you for coronavirus. They are unavoidably unsafe. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me today is the good health lawyer, uh, Patricia Finn, Patty. Um, I'm just so glad to have this conversation. It's I, like we said earlier, it's amazing. 115 years ago, this decision was made and and now we're still living with the repercussions of the decisions made then when so little was known um, about the human immune system, um, about the products that they were giving to people. Um, and, and nothing, everything seems to be uh, politically driven, industrial driven, as it were, rather than um, what's really best for um, healthy immunity and even that 
community immunity, as they like to call it. <laughs> Which uh, we know doesn't exist um, with vaccines. You, you cannot create herd immunity with the vaccine. That yeah. is, has never been proven. It occurs naturally, but uh, not with a vaccine. Right. And I, I think it's important. I, I, I might have said this already in some earlier shows, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but I like to give the example of measles because a lot of people say, well, look, at measles is gone. There's just a couple flare ups in, in groups, you know, here and there, but otherwise measles is gone. And they credit the measles vaccination program. Um, but here's what we have. In the 1960s, early 1960s, almost everybody in the United States of America above the age of 15 had lifetime immunity because they got measles when they were a child, right? And it confers, you know, that wonderful lifetime protection. And, and women, uh, moms gave very strong passive immunity to their babies for the first year of life, which, which provided natural pressure to keep any measles infections um, in children at about age four, five, six, seven, we're in its safest to experience, right? Um, by the early 1960s, the annual fatality rate to measles in the United States was around 400 to 500 a year. And now we know about vitamin A. That's before we even knew the connection between um, the importance of vitamin A and D and other nutrients on measles outcome. Um, and, you know, you can't compare the United States to third world countries, which they try to do. But so then what happened? What's going on now? Well, the studies now show that artificial immunization is not lifetime. The CDC's own studies have shown that by 20 years out, at least a third of the adult population is now fully susceptible to measles and a third dose through other studies um, will not help boost immunity. This is the dilemma that has been caused and the problem caused by mass vaccination um, policies without understanding unintended consequences. They destroyed natural herd immunity. And, and what the future holds, I don't know how we, uh, how we move forward through this. I want them to begin discussing this instead of pretending it doesn't exist. Yeah, I know, um, you know, right? manipulating disease for profit without any liability is, is just deadly. And, you know, now here we, when, when we won against measles last year, I was like, this is great. And then boom, you know, it was COVID. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I was watching a video of Fauci uh, yesterday. He and his buddies in 2015, Bill Gates laughing about it, you know, predicting uh, these pandemics. And, and Bill Gates was laughing, you know, and, and he, he's very bizarre. And, you know, if they knew there was going to be a pandemic, uh, then how come they weren't ready? How come there wasn't an, enough uh, protective gear? Why didn't we know about hydroxychloroquine? And, right. you know, so it, the, the whole thing is uh, manufactured and it's out of control. But there is one one little thing that can stop it. What? And that yeah. is an individual's right to refuse. Mm -hmm. And Jacobson right now has limited that right. I, I, it does say compulsory vaccine, but that was a criminal uh, statute that Jacobson was prosecuted under. 
so it's it's not really clear how it'll affect today. But mm -hmm. what is clear is uh, police power has been very broadly interpreted, and that means they can do whatever they want. They they released some um, infected mosquitoes yesterday in Florida, flying syringes. Did you know that? That was a Bill Gates product. Okay, project. so I, I hadn't, I, I saw that and I hadn't had time to, you know, go down that rabbit hole. Could you, what the heck was that all about? What, what are they, mosquitoes, what are they attempting to do? I, I think it's dengue and uh, Zika. And although it wasn't very clear, they were describing them as genetically modified mosquitoes. Um, but again, I remember seeing Bill Gates a few years ago with a jar of mosquitoes at a, at a convention, and he opened it up and he said something like they were all infected. And uh, so these are genetically modified engine, uh, genetically modified mosquitoes, and they are supposed to, um, I, I believe it's dengue and Zika. And, you know, that's whacked. And no, then, I mean, you know, what, putting what, it in the salt shaker too, that's coming next. So, so these, you're supposed to try to get bit by a mosquito in order to like get inoculated against dengue and Zika. Is that what you're saying this thing? Well, is? they, they didn't mention trying. I, I think the presumption is you will eventually get bitten by a mosquito. And, um, but it was not clear. You can't get any real data. And it's, who gave them permission to do this crazy uh, thing? Uh, Florida Health Department. Um, that seems like I, that should be like a, a, a vote on the ballot. Do you want to be exposed to this when you go out? I mean, they, they, how can they do that? I know. Well, they did that too in New York, uh, spraying Please. for West Nile. When I was pregnant, uh, they were spraying insecticide for West Nile. You know, I'll tell you, I would take all these lawsuits. You know, I, I would love to, uh, you know, I mean, again, are dengue and Zika uh, epidemics? No. And that settles that. And so can you... Right. Can you force um, a compulsory vaccine? I don't know, but what about, yeah. can you make people wear masks and submit them to infected mosquitoes? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't crazy. think it, it, it hasn't gone that far. No, and you know, and, the any viral infection, uh, Anthony Fauci was on the studies in the late 1980s, early 1990s that showed that um, N-acetylcysteine, NAC, one of the three um, components that that you make up glutathione, if you've got these on board, um, your body makes plenty of glutathione, the body's master antioxidant, it shuts down the replication of HIV virus. And it was learned a few years ago, um, I think maybe 2015, that it shuts down Zika virus replication by like at least 90%. And so we know you if you're eating right or you can supplement if you do get infected and you can easily shut down viral replication. And and the glutathione, a, a Russian researcher has theorized and published his theory that all of the all of the conditions that make you susceptible to COVID-19 
um, whether it be diabetes or obesity, some other chronic health issue or age, living in a long-term care facility, not getting outside, um, not getting enough vitamin D or nutrients, all of these things put you in a state of glutathione deficiency. And the symptoms of severe symptoms of COVID-19 match glutathione deficiency symptoms. And so, so no matter where you are on, you know, and, and the, the reason for your susceptibility, the answer or, or the nutrients. Right. And this is, this is amazing science. I mean, we know there's lots of studies that show that the being infected with a virus uses glutathione because your body's using it to go heal you. You've got this beautiful immune system that if you properly support it, it's going to work. You know, I mean, if you go to the hospital and they pump you full of drugs to try to help like suppress your symptoms that have gotten out of control, it's not the drugs that are going to heal you. It's still your immune system. If they survive the drugs, you know, right, right. Um, mm -hmm. then it's still your immune system. And it's been using up glutathione and vitamin C and vitamin A. You need to get those puppies back on board right? So that you continue to recover and you're not left with long-term health issues from having been sick. You need to get those nutrients on board. And I know I'm sort of rambling, which I tend to do, but it's so common sense though. It's so uh, brilliant in its basic simplicity. No, I, I love when you go on, I learn uh, a lot. <laughs> I learn a lot from you. You know, I'm more of a um, headliner. Like I saw, you know, genetically modified Zika or whatever. I was like, oh my gosh. It's, it's um, but when I talk to you, you know, you, you kind of lay the science over it. When I'm in court, I, I try not to get into uh, big scientific battles uh, with the other side because I don't really have the money to fight them. And, you know, so I use, you know, very basic common sense formulas like for one there's no epidemic i mean that's so easy to prove i you know i i hope that we can do it you know we are going to the supreme court we do have an important case here in new york um to challenge uh, the safety of the schedule um but you know we need a, a big big case you know, they were putting fluoride in the water, too. They don't put it in my community, but in, in neighboring counties, they do. And that's another thing, you know, what if you don't want fluoride in your water? Yeah. Well, there's a yeah. there's a big case right now. Um, is it at the Supreme Court? Uh, where is it about fluoride? There's a big case where it's finally oh. being challenged. Somebody petitioned the, the FDA and um, there's just so many things to follow. I can't follow it all, but it, yeah, it's no, progressing. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know, and I will look that up because yeah. I've always been fascinated by uh, fluoride poisoning because yeah. uh, during... Um, World War II uh, in the concentration camps, they were using fluoride uh, to uh, sedate and medicate um, the prisoners. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's it, it can't be that good for you. And, no. and then there's some uh, discussion that the fluoride and the vaccines are contributing to Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. in, in the elderly and the elderly are getting vaccinated all the time, you know, in the health healthcare uh, yeah. facilities, just coming in and shooting them up all the time, collecting their insurance uh, money. And, and then if an elderly person dies from that flu vaccine, 
it's just presumed um, they died mm -hmm. from uh, old age. No one really looks at, and even if you did uh, sue, you know, you wouldn't even get that much money because if I'm 80 years old and I get a flu vaccine and I die, what is the value of the balance of my life? And unfortunately, that's how the court would look at it. Unlike a, a baby mm -hmm. that is injured um, by a, a vaccine and needs a life care plan or, or something like that. Um, and in, in vaccine court, if you die from a vaccine, all you can get is $250,000. Yeah, it's... And uh, that's, and that's extremely limited. And, you know, I do know... Um, a mom and dad who lost their child to um, vaccine injury. And you only have two years. That's a statute of lim limitation to file. And they miss the deadline. And I think in their grief, they, they, you know, they did, they were informed about, um, about the act and what they needed to do to file. And they did take a few steps, but um, I think that was so heartbroken. And then the idea of even trying to get, compensation I mean what what would it do I yeah. you know it was just I think how could you spend that money right um because it's and then like uh, uh, drag you through through just, the mud oh yeah and just it's just it's we really need such reform on this I mean if they're going to be using these products we have got to ensure policy is based on product the actual for-profit liability-free products, what they can and can't do. We need third-party, independent third parties testing these products. Right now, they're licensed only on what Merck or Pfizer, or GlaxoSmithKline That's or Moderna, right. what they say is trusted. There's no third-party verification. The FDA does not verify any of this. They read what the manufacturer tells them and they decide whether or not to license. That is absolutely the honor system is that not is working a, yes but that is a, a brilliant legal strategy by the way and and the case in the supreme court um that we're filing in october was uh the license for the mmr vaccine and um i argued that uh, the government knew about evidence linking uh mmr to autism in children due to dr thompson Mm -hmm. And that knowledge uh, was imputed to Julie Gerberding while at CDC and now at Merck. Mm -hmm. And there has been absolutely no action taken. And I moved to revoke the MMR license. And, you know, that was pretty high bar. And, um, you know, I, did, I didn't win yet. But uh, the, the point was that in the Vaccine Act, um, you can go uh, and sue the Secretary of Health and Human Services for licensing defective vaccines. And I mean, as a community, as a vaccine bar, as a legal community, that's where we need to be going. Now, this case with the MMR was kind of a stretch. I mean, it was, I thought, uh, absolutely valid to bring, but it was hard. You know, it's, it's hard taking these beasts on. But next time, it won't be so hard. And uh, the key here is to get their licenses revoked for fraud. 
because if they have evidence linking vaccines, MMR, say, to autism and the Vaccine Act requires that be immediately disclosed to the Secretary of Health and Human Services and then ultimately Congress and the public, uh, if, if they are withholding that information, then their licenses should be revoked. And that is how we get them. We will never be able to walk into a courtroom and say, I have religious rights, right now anyway, I have religious rights and uh, I find vaccines offensive and contrary to my religious beliefs. Forget it. It's not going to work. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it it is is definitely not going to work. The way to get them is under Section 31 of the Vaccine Act and uh, compel the secretary to perform their duty of uh, mandating safer vaccines. And that that's very, very, very important. Yeah, and I, and I hope that you will be able to prepare on the heels some argument against GlaxoSmithKline's version because I believe they are lining themselves up to be licensed in the United States should Merck lose their license. Um, Glaxo's will follow, and I don't know that it's any better or safer, and I don't know what they've done to cover things up. Yeah, so. well, I was just going to yeah. say, one of the things I argued is to revoke their license, and, and Merck said, how could you do that? We've saved millions of lives, and I said, well, Glaxo has one, which is licensed theirs. I thought their heads were going to go off. <laughs> And, you know, I haven't really gotten too far on this case, and I'm very sad because we work very hard, and it really is important. There is a child uh, in the balance here. Mm-hmm. But the the fact is, if, if let's say Merck did lose their license, you know, maybe the months of litigation, although uh, that looks very stalled. I brought it against measles. They, there's one in Philly against the months. But um, we need to be going after every single fraud on every single FDA license and getting a court um, to strike those licenses. And if MMR was unlicensed to Merck and it switched over to Glaxo, at least there'd be an opportunity for review and, and, you know, some some activity. Right. I think it's, you know, we're going to have to follow up on that because I believe that's already in process of of looking at that. And if they're just going to take the same ridiculous manufacturer supply data from the 1960s, 70s, then here we go again. Right. Um, Wait a minute. You're saying Glaxo. What is Glaxo is, is lining up, but their data can't be from the 60s. Or when, when did they make their MMR? Wasn't hasn't um, always been Merck, Merck, hasn't? Merck's had a license since, since 63. Okay. And uh, in 68, by the way, my my brother and sister and I uh, got a vaccine. We got the MMR and my brother, we all developed mumps. And my brother uh, slipped into a coma and had encephalitis from it. Wow. And it was, I was well into this business before... I discussed it with my mom one day mm-hmm. about what happened. And I remember having the mumps and I even remember the vaccine because it was like the last one I ever took. And um, she told me that. 
and the doctors said it was equine encephalitis, but I'm, I'm convinced now my karma and everything is telling me that it yeah. was that vaccine. And, and yeah. perhaps that's why I'm, I'm so committed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, there's just so much wrong here and um, we're almost out of time. I think what's really important here, you know, I want listeners and viewers to sort of understand that because there's been so much fear of, of disease. And, and the reason the government protects flawed vaccines is because the government too fears infection. And science no longer supports the germ theory that viruses and bacteria are the problem. The problem is host susceptibility. We need effective treatments. We need to be educating individuals to empower themselves to have healthy immune systems and to live in a healthy environment that supports health. All of the data, all of the history, all the science supports that if you live in a healthy environment and you are yourself healthy, you live in harmony with viruses and bacteria. Of course, there's gonna be situations where somebody is overwhelmed and we need remedies. We need remedies that range from nutrients to drugs and combinations in between for those circumstances. But this whole idea that we have to be at war with germs forever, that this is what we do, that we lock down society, that we, we tremble in fear waiting for pharma to save us, this is absolutely, it's, it's absurd and it's very dangerous. Um, it's very so, dangerous. Yeah. So tell, I want readers uh, and listeners um, to know um, that if they want to take action to make things better, support um, individuals like Patty Finn. So where can they go help you win some of these wonderful cases that you're doing? Um, well, thank you uh, for asking, um, because uh, money is very lean right now, as it is for everybody. But um, one minute. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, um, uh, with the repeal of the religious exemption last year in New York, you know, we we basically lost our customer base. Uh, we would do exemptions and then we would take a portion of that and apply it to civil rights. And now that's gone. And that was a big hit. And then the other side of the firm is vaccine injury. I have practiced in the vaccine court uh, for a long, long time. And uh, even that's starting to contract. Um, You know, there's a lot of shoulder injuries now. uh, And it's kind of mill work a little bit. And, you know, I tended to take the more complicated cases Um, But the financial burden of it now without the exemptions is impossible. So um, we are heavily uh, looking for donations. I mean, I'm ready to bring a mass case. Yeah. Tell tell us where to go. We're about out of time. Oh, sorry. Uh, PatriciaFinnAttorney.com. And I'm a good help lawyer on Facebook, uh, PatriciaFinn, and and Twitter and Instagram. you can find me there. There is a link. Uh, we have a nonprofit 501c3 set up for, you know, the, the million dollar donation we're going to yeah. get. Um, smaller ones can be made through PayPal or go get funding. And, uh, uh, you know, you can email me at patriciafinattorney uh, at gmail.com. That's and I, I would be very grateful 
for that's uh, great support so yeah everybody look for the good health lawyer patriciafin.com and go to informedchoicewad.org to learn more you've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 am kk and w tune in next week thank you <laughs> thank you